You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Happy Thursday to you. It's time for Herd Mentality, the podcast episode each week where you take control of the discussion by sending in questions, comments, whatever you have regarding the Buffalo Bills, and I address them here on the podcast. And so we've got a full show. Let's get right to it. The first one today comes from Jeff. And Jeff says, I know how much time you had to spend last summer on the podcast talking about the impact of Andre Roberts prior to the 2020 season and his importance. I was right on the Roberts bandwagon with you, and I think the most undervalued piece of this offseason thus far is the loss of his trusted return ability. What are your thoughts on this and or comfort level with the multiple options we have on the roster? I am terrified personally and will certainly miss not having to hold my breath on punts and kickoffs like during the drought era. Jeff, I am with you. I think the most significant loss to the roster this offseason has been Andre Roberts, a very trusted kick and punt returner. You know, not only is he going to handle the ball cleanly every single time, but he's going to field it appropriately. He knows when to let it bounce. He knows when to take it out of the end zone. He's just outstanding. He's an absolute pro. You never worried about getting the ball back to your offense when you're supposed to do it. And yes, my breath will be held until somebody can prove they are a consistent, reliable handler of the football that makes the right decision every time like Andre Roberts did. The options to replace Roberts are Isaiah McKenzie, who has had a nightmarish resume of handling the football on punt returns and not correctly fielding the ball and letting it bounce and you know not being able to do a fair catch when he's supposed to. I mean, highly inconsistent at Georgia, Denver, and in the brief opportunities he's had with the Buffalo Bills. Marquez Stevenson has been a kick returner only at Houston and never got an opportunity to do punt returns. That's probably for a reason. I think Matt Breida is an option as a kick returner, not necessarily a punt returner. And then Brandon Powell is probably the best option to be the hybrid you know, kick returner and punt returner. But it's not like he has a long history of being successful at either, You know, kind of just one year of doing it. Um, and so, yeah, I'm nervous. I'm extremely nervous. When the Bills are supposed to give the ball back to 17, I want it to happen. And I don't trust these guys. I don't. And the Bills had the most trusted ball handler, and fielder of punts and kicks in the NFL and Andre Roberts, and I'm sad that he's not part of this football team. Nicole says, over the past week or so, I have seen a lot of chatter from Bill's Mafia about going after Julio Jones. Could you please express your opinions about this? Personally, I don't like the idea from a financial and draft capital standpoint, seeing as the Falcons will probably want a first-round pick and potentially more draft picks for him. Yeah, Nicole, I've seen this too. I've seen a lot of people out there with a lot of energy and enthusiasm to hype up the idea for the Bills going after Julio Jones. I think there are very diminishing returns on this idea. First of all, you can't give up a first-round pick for Julio Jones. 32 years old, 
injuries are starting to pile on, that's that's inappropriate. That that is an overspend for a guy that has already come out and said, "I'm out of there." You don't give up a first round pick for Julio Jones. So right there, that <laughs> I don't like that at all. I think you should be talking about a mid round pick, a fourth or a fifth round pick when it comes to compensation for Julio Jones. Then you have to absorb his contract. And the Bills cannot absorb his contract right now. They would have to make moves to make this possible. So I don't like the opportunity cost because if the Bills are going to invest resources, I want it to be at cornerback or defensive tackle where they actually need help and not at wide receiver. How much better can the Bills passing offense be? How much better can the Bills passing offense be? It was elite last year. I expect it to be elite this year without Julio Jones. I want resources to be invested in areas of the team that are not as good as the passing game. That's what I mean by diminishing returns. Think about this like John Ross in his 40 time, right? John Ross, wide receiver from Washington, got drafted in the top 10 by the Cincinnati Bengals, ran a 4-2-2 40-yard dash. Historic. The best ever. It's amazing. Blazing speed. But at a certain point, it doesn't matter whether you run a 4-2-2 or a 4-2-7 or a 4-3 or a 4-3-5. You're really, really, really fast. At 4-3-5, you're faster than 99.999% of the players in the NFL, just like you are at a 4-2-2. There's diminishing returns on being that fast. It's still impressive, but there's diminishing returns. If the Bills go out and add to this roster, get me Steven Nelson, get me Geno Atkins. There's just diminishing returns on investing more in this passing offense right now because I don't think it changes my perception of the team. The Bills have enough (laughs) at wide receiver. Go get me a CB2. Go get me a defensive tackle. Next one today comes from Greg who says, just listen to the Thursday podcast. I have a couple of questions for you. One, if you were Sean McDermott, how would you play defense against the Patriots tight end combination? I assume Teron Johnson needs to come off the field, but who takes his place? And number two, please rank the overall offensive lines in the AFC East as a total position. Do the Bills take the lead due to the weighting of the tackle position? So, First on defending the Patriots tight end combination and what I would do, I think I would definitely get Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, and Matt Milano very heavily involved in those matchups. But for the Bills, they're not really a matchup defense. They're very much a play your role. Do your 111th of the defense and we expect you to be where you're supposed to be. And the offense, because of that, they can dictate matchups a lot of times But the Bills are very much an assignment-based defense. This is what you are responsible for on this play. Go do it. Doesn't matter if it's Nelson Aguilar or Jacoby Myers or John U. Smith or Hunter Henry. If that's the guy that comes into your zone, that's the one you cover. And if they throw the football to him, you're expected to close and compete at the catch point. So I like the idea of playing the matchups more. 
But that's just not the style of defense that Sean McDermott runs. Um, as far as ranking the offensive line groups in the AFC as a total position, uh, because when I did this on the podcast last week, I did it as offensive tackle and then interior offensive line. I think the Bills had the best left tackle, center, and right tackle in the division. I am not impressed with the guards in Ford and Feliciano. So I would give the edge to New England as the best offensive line in the AFC East because I don't see any weakness in that group. I don't think they're as good as the Bills are at center or either tackle position, but I think they are significantly better at both guard spots. And they're still good at center, left tackle, and right tackle. So because I think there's more consistency across the board, give me that Patriots offensive line over the Bills as number one in the division. Next one today comes from Ryan who says, we often hear terms about young quarterbacks like the training wheels are still on or they haven't opened up the playbook for him. Now that Josh has arrived, is there another chapter to Brian Dable's playbook that they didn't introduce during last year's training camp or regular season? That's a really good question. And the scheme that Brian Dable employs, the Earhart Perkins passing offense, the training wheels are never really on. You know, it's definitely places a lot of stress on the quarterback's mental processing ability, breaking down coverage, knowing where to go to the go with the football based on the concepts that you run and, and the different groupings and packages. And so it's not a very quarterback friendly system. And so I think from the outset, the training wheels have never really been on. Now, they modified things a little bit for him as a rookie where he was very much a a, uh, touchdown to take off with the football-style passer, right? Like his process was different, but conceptually, a lot of the same stuff. But while you're talking about going into year four with the same offensive coordinator, same quarterback, same system, it allows you to build on that volume. You can expand on the concepts. You can add in more wrinkles. So, Absolutely, I think that there is more in this playbook for them to unleash, but I'm not sure it has much to do with Josh Allen and where he's at in his development as it does the continuity that has existed between him and Brian Dable, and because of the volume already established, they can build off of that. Hopefully that makes sense. I really do think it's a continuity thing that lends itself more to the expansion of the playbook than I I think it is anything that has to do with Josh Allen and his development and him arriving last year. RockAuto.com is a family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices that you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. All right, folks, it's here, the last word of our contest. And surely you know by now, but we've been running this contest all the way through the month of May where I am going to give away a Buffalo Bills jersey to somebody. And 
all month long, I've been periodically releasing the next word of this nine word sentence that I established beforehand and, you know, at random, just release the next word in different episodes throughout the course of the month. And so what I've been telling everyone is that when you have the full sentence, send an email to joe at the draftnetwork.com. And if you correctly deliver the sentence, you'll be entered into a drawing and the winner receives the Bills jersey of their choice. I released the first word on Monday, May 3rd. The last word is coming to you in just a moment. And then the seven words in between, like I said, they've been released randomly throughout the month. So uh, if you missed it, you got to go back and find them. But uh, that's been what we've been doing. And the drawing is going to happen on Instagram Live on June 2nd, my birthday. So you will have from today, right, now that you have the last word, up until June 1st at 10 p.m. to send me an email with the full sentence correctly delivered to be entered into the drawing, which will be done live on Instagram. And uh, you can follow me on Instagram with the handle, the underscore Joe Marino. This has been really fun. And uh, I hope that the most loyal listeners of the podcast that tune in daily uh, have enjoyed this opportunity to win this free jersey. So the ninth word is right. W-R-I-G-H-T. Right. W-R-I-G-H-T. So now I have given you all nine words. They've been baked into these podcast episodes throughout the course of the month. So if you have all nine, send me that email. Again, joe at thedraftnetwork.com. The subject of the email is Jersey Contest. The body of the email is that sentence correctly written. Don't have anything wrong. It's got to be the perfect exact nine-word sentence that I gave you this month on the podcast. And then June 2nd, we are going to have that drawing live on Instagram to find out who is going to win this jersey. All right, so get those emails in, joe at thedraftnetwork.com. Next one today comes from Tyler, who says, what player are you most concerned about for a possibility of taking a step back this year? Josh Allen not included because that would be too obvious. Also, what player do you think is most in line for a possible step up? All right, so the player that I'm most concerned takes a step back this year is Jerry Hughes. You know, I worry about him hitting a wall, and I think he was really good last year. He was as good as he's ever been last year. But kind of like with Mario Addison where it came quick and he was okay for a few games and then just didn't have much left in the tank. I worry about that happening for Jerry Hughes. I know he's got a baby on the way uh, that's supposed to come here pretty soon. And so um, I just I get a little nervous, a little bit nervous about old Jerry Hughes and um, him falling off the cliff this year. I hope not, but if you make me predict one guy, that would be the one. Uh, and then as far as a guy that's in line to step up, I think it's Dawson Knox, the tight end. Um, you guys know I'm high on Dawson Knox, has all the physical gifts in the world. You've seen him make some really dynamic plays, and I think this is the year it all comes together. And we should not be surprised that he's been inconsistent to this point. High school quarterback, went to Ole Miss, caught 39 passes in his entire career as like the sixth option in the offense in a very elementary static scheme. Comes the NFL. Year one, he has that hamstring that was a problem for multiple weeks in training camp as a rookie, still winds up being the starting tight end and having some flashes. Year two, has COVID, a concussion, and a calf injury that hampered him, but still showed improvements. 
reduced his drop rate from 20 to 9, cut it more than in half. And the last nine games of the year, he found a lot of consistency. I don't know why Bills Mafia is afraid to admit that Dawson Knox, over the last nine games of the year, including the playoffs, was an important piece of the offense and there was growth there, but uh, I'm not sure if you guys are so into Zach Ertz and that idea that you want to diminish the growth of Dawson Knox and understand the growth that has been there and what he's capable of in year three, but that's my guy. That's my guy that I think is going to step up and be a, a meaningful part of this offense and really make everyone forget about tight end as a potential need. Vin says, Joe, what is eight-man football? I've heard that talked about recently. Is this something that some colleges do? Also, what came first, your friendship with Kyle Krabs or Draft Dudes? Uh, probably the reason I most enjoy that show that you two do is the chemistry that you have. Just two dudes hanging around a microphone recording rather than a scripted show with two people. So eight-man football, the reason we're talking about that right now is right. Spencer Brown, his high school career was as a an eight-man football player uh, where he primarily played tight end. And so um, it's it's mostly a high school thing, and it varies from state to state in terms of all the specifics of the rules. But um, offensively, it eliminates the offensive tackles, usually. Um, you have to have five men on the line of scrimmage. The field is usually smaller. It's it's normally 80 yards long and 40 yards wide. And from my, what I understand is all the other stuff is the same, but um, it's 8-on-8 eight eight instead of 11-on-11 11 11 with the offensive tackles usually being what is eliminated. But there is some variation state, state by state. As far as my relationship with Kyle Krabs, uh, who I co-host the Draft Dudes podcast with, and Draft Dudes is a daily podcast that I do with Kyle Krabs. We cover all of football, the NFL draft, college football, the NFL. It's daily, just like Locked on Bills. And um, Kyle and I came into the football media industry at about the same time back in 2013. Obviously, both of our focus was on the NFL draft. We connected on Twitter. We just followed each other on Twitter, and we engaged quite a bit. And through that, we learned that we were very like-minded people with similar goals in the industry. We both were very driven and had strong work ethics. And I'm guessing a lot of you can probably relate. If you've ever pursued something that you're passionate about and had a dream uh, to accomplish, you want to surround yourself with the right people that are rowing in the same direction that you feel like you can be successful with. And so I think we connected on that level. Um, and because of that, we figured out different ways that we could work together, which we did at NDT Scouting and FanRag Sports. And we worked together plotting our path to make it full-time in football. We worked really, really hard. We networked and got lucky. And so through this process of working together to get to where we are today, a friendship developed in a big way. I wound up being the best man at his wedding. He was the best man at my wedding. He uh, asked me to be the godfather of his baby girl that was born in December. Our wives are very close and the bromance overall is very, very strong. So it helps us collaborate really good content, uh, particularly the Draft Dudes podcast, even though he's a Miami Dolphins fan. Worst thing about him. You hate to see that. Uh, but um, yeah, I think that's that's kind of how that relationship evolved. And as we realized how similar we were with our goals and how we wanted to achieve them, naturally we started to collaborate on more things. And you know, we're like 1,500 episodes 
into draft dudes. It's been running for a while. I think we were the first ever daily NFL draft specific podcast. I remember when we pitched it to David Locke, the owner of the Lockdown Podcast Network. He was like, listen, I don't know if this is going to be successful because I don't think people are going to care about the NFL draft outside of, you know, March, April, May. Um, but um, we we went for it and it's worked out really, really well. He He even said to us on the end of that phone call, he said, Look, we'll bring you on. We'll treat you like we do all the other hosts. Uh, but, you know, I'm not sure if this is going to work. And now he has two draft podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network, and they're consistently in the top five of overall podcasts within the Locked On Podcast Network. So there you have it. If you have passionate people running your podcast uh, that are willing to engage with the audience and work really hard and have good chemistry, people will listen. And so it's been really successful. And obviously, uh, I've gained a you know a lifelong best friend in Kyle throughout all of that. Next one today comes from Sean, who says, Hey, Joe, I have an interesting question for herd mentality. If you could add any current offensive player and defensive player to the Bills, who would it be? My answers are Christian McCaffrey and Aaron Donald. I will agree with you on Aaron Donald. I think Aaron Donald is on pace for us to start talking about him as one of the greatest defensive players in NFL history. And he's in his prime. (laughs) And he's winning the Defensive Player of the Year award almost every year. Give me that guy. On offense, I went with Quentin Nelson, the guard from the Indianapolis Colts. I think he would be awesome for the Bills. He'd be awesome for any team. But his ability to create movement in the run game, his ability to pass block and maintain the depth of the pocket, I I just, it's... It's uh, it's an elite player at a position where I think the Bills have question marks at on offensive guard, and so uh, I think he would make the biggest impact for the Bills' offense. D. Rum says, with the Chiefs entering the offseason being tight on cap space and all the cap shuffling they did to address the offensive line, is there a chance that Brandon Bean used this draft planning to outlast the Chiefs from a cap saturation perspective? You know, I see why you asked the question. I'm not sure I'm buying it. Uh, I think the Chiefs and Bills have very different approaches to roster construction. The Chiefs have kind of proven that they're not afraid to gut positions and invest in veterans and make trades and do different things to replenish and reset the cap, where the Bills are very much a draft and develop type team. Now, they're still going to make moves in free agency, but for the most part, they want to draft and develop. I still think there's plenty of, of star power on both the Bills and the Chiefs, but I think the manner in which that star power is acquired is very, very different. And so, you know, the Chiefs, they're paying Patrick Mahomes a lot of money and they're going to for a long time, but that doesn't mean that they don't have other great players on their roster that they're paying a ton of money to. They still have Tyreek Hill. They still have uh, Chris Jones and Frank Clark and and Tyron Matthew. So uh, Travis Kelsey. So just because you're paying a quarterback doesn't mean that there's not another $180 million left for you to invest on other players. You can still do it. But I think that the Chiefs and Bills fundamentally are, are a little bit different in the way that they've built their rosters. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and the UFC. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game. 
Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code Locked On. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Got several more to get to here today. The next one comes from Josh, who says, I noticed Star Latulale was not present at OTAs. These are obviously optional, but you would think he would definitely be one of the ones present considering he hasn't played football in almost two years. I don't know if he's hesitant to come back still because of a personal issue or what, but do you find this concerning at all? Personally, I do because of how long it's been. We don't know if he's been staying in shape and the fact that we did not draft anyone this year at one technique. Appreciate any thoughts that you might have here. Yeah, Joshua, I talked about this a bit on yesterday's podcast and I'll, I'll kind of share some of those thoughts again here. I am concerned about this. I was concerned about this to begin with, you know, Star Latulay coming back, what he's going to be like. I thought overall one tech was a, a major question mark for this team in general. And now here we are, and Star Latulay is unfortunately not at OTAs. Now there's already been reports that Star plans on being back for this season. You'd think he'd want to get there and start getting his legs under him and getting back into the rhythm of being a football player. So, yeah, I'm concerned about it. It sounded like Sean McDermott was concerned about it when he addressed this on his press conference on Tuesday, and um, it's not ideal. I, I Again, th- there could be a, a family situation or something we're not aware of that's keeping him from being there, but short of that, you want Star to be there. And my concern is that this is a shift for him because the reports that I've received in the past have been that Star Latule is always at the facility, and he's always there in the offseason every day working out. So it's weird to me that he's not there. And then you start thinking about his sister was selling Bill's gear on the Facebook marketplace, opted out last year, his brother retired early from football. Yeah, I'm concerned about this for sure. Next one comes from Steven who says, we are all hoping for that diamond in the rough in some of our later round draft picks. I'm especially intrigued by Marquez Stevenson. How does your pre-draft rating of him compare with your rating of Stefan Diggs in 2015, a fifth rounder who eventually cost us a one, four, five, and six, but has been worth every penny? So I think they are really different prospects coming out. Diggs, when you watched him at Maryland, he was a very nuanced route runner, very consistent hands, and your questions about Stefan Diggs came from the injuries that he had and just never really had the type of quarterback that can get him the football and give him opportunities to be productive. For Stevenson, he's very much a guy that made a ton of plays due to the scheme and the speed that he has, not necessarily a refined wide receiver prospect. So I think the Bills can get value out of Stevenson if he can be the kick returner, and he was awesome as a kick returner at Houston. Get him some touches in space, hand him the ball on some jet sweeps, throw him the football down the field. Like He has redeeming qualities, and I'm very intrigued by him as well. But from a, a technique and refinement standpoint, I don't think he's close to Diggs as a prospect. Andy in Wisconsin says, As I'm sitting here listening to your offensive position group ratings, I have a nervous feeling in the pit of my stomach. I realize that McBean must be comfortable with our cornerback room given what they did or didn't do in the draft, but as I listen to your rankings, it seems that every team has two or three wide receivers that are a physical matchup problem. How can they not be worried about this? My only hope is that the quarterbacks in our division aren't good enough to take advantage of that or 
our pass rush is just that much better. Can you make me feel better about this? This is what I'll say. Sean McDermott believes in their system. It's a coverage system that is based on staying leveraged and forcing difficult throws, disguising intentions, and being assignment-driven to overcome any physical limitations that exist. And this defense has been working for years. I mean, Sean McDermott has had a top 10 defense in six of the last nine seasons. It's been a top five defense in two of the last three. Sean McDermott knows how to coach defense, and this has been working for him for a long time. Now, that doesn't mean that I still can't pound the table for a more athletic guy that can play in man coverage and open up more coverage scheme possibilities. Like, I can want that, and I can envision how that can help the defense and make it better. But this has been working for McDermott. So for as concerned as I want to be about it, and I think a lot of us want to be about it, it's tried and true. Top 10 defense, six of the last nine seasons, top five and two of the last three. It speaks for itself. The next one today comes from Drew, and Drew has a four-pack of questions for us, so let's work through these very quickly. Uh, Drew says, do we rotate our defensive linemen more than other teams do? If so, does the rotation work? And does that mean we should value defensive linemen less than teams who give their linemen more snaps? You know, as far as whether it works or not, the Bills definitely rotate a lot and other teams rotate a lot less. I'd go back to what I just said about um, the past defense and not having a great option at CB2. Top 10 in defense, six of the last nine seasons, top five, two of the last three. Um, that's a fair point about valuation of defensive linemen. They certainly disagree with you. I, I mean, look at the draft picks, top two picks this year, pass rushers, Ed Oliver, top 10 pick, AJ Epinesa, the top pick in 2019 or 2020, excuse me, defensive end. I mean, they, they are paying defensive linemen. They're drafting them high. So that rotational component certainly does not sway the bills valuation on defensive linemen. Second one from Drew, do we always play a 4-3? In the past, people would talk about trying to be multiple up front. Now I hear that more for the back of the defense than the front. The Bills were in nickel defense 91% of the time. That's the most in the NFL last year. They're almost never in 4-3. They really run a 4-2-5, if you want to be honest. And from a, a defensive line perspective, it's always an even front, almost always 4 down defensive linemen. So you could say the Bills play a 4-3 uh, 9% of the time, but 91% of the time they are in nickel. I think the Bills are a base nickel defense. Number three, is it reasonable to expect any of our young edge defenders to get significant playing time inside? People talk about the defensive tackle position as a slow developing position, so I think it would be hard for a young defensive end to succeed on occasional snaps inside. Here's what I'd say about that. Reps inside are very different than being a full-time defensive tackle. So while it is a slow-developing position to be a full-time defensive tackle, occasionally kicking inside as an edge player is a lot different. Those opportunities are meant to take advantage of quickness and length that you have in that defensive end on long and late downs and create a shorter track to the quarterback. That's why you do it. So, yeah, if you're going to ask him to go in there and understand all the principles of playing on the interior against a run and pass. Sure, it's a big ask. 
But if you just want to get a guy with quickness and length to have a shorter track to the quarterback, that's where it becomes advantageous. Last question from Drew is, what do you think of Harrison Phillips? It seems like he was playing well early in his second season before the injury and again late in his third season after fully recovering. And now that almost every down is a passing down, I would think a one tech who can penetrate would be pretty valuable, but I don't see a lot of Harrison Phillips fans anymore. I agree with you in what you said there. Early in his second season, that two-and-a-half game stretch before he tore his ACL looked really good. I thought he looked really good at the end of last season. However, when I think about Harrison Phillips and the player that I watched dating back to Stanford, I'm mostly lukewarm on him. I think he's had good moments. I think he plays really hard. I think he's a very likable person. I just think he's a replacement-level football player. So as we are concerned about Star Latulale and him being the starting one tech, I'm not enamored with the idea of Harrison Phillips being the guy. You know, I just don't know if he's that type of player. I think he's a average to below average rotational one technique, and, and that, to me, doesn't have a lot of value. And I'm not, I'm not overly enamored with him. I hope he does great. I hope he winds up being a consistent player to the level that we saw end of last year, early in 2019, but I have my concerns about that being true. All right, folks, that's it. We did herd mentality this week. Thanks for being patient. I know we normally do it on Wednesdays. Don't forget to send in the sentence, right? All nine words have been delivered to you, so you should have them all. Joe at the draftnetwork.com is the email subject jersey contest. Give me all nine of those words in the body of the email. You'll be entered in to the drawing, which will happen on June 2nd on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram, the underscore Joe Marino. We got one more episode for you this week, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about the Kansas City Chiefs. I had a really good email sent in uh, by a listener that had some very specific questions about the Chiefs and how the Bills match up. And I, I think I want to spend all of the show tomorrow digging into that. And so um, as we've spent a lot of time here this week on the podcast and last week stacking up the bills in the division and then within the conference, let's take a deep dive into the Chiefs with uh, some of the questions that Adam sent in to me a couple of weeks ago. So you have that to look forward to tomorrow. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. And I look forward to catching up with you again on Friday.